My name is Patrick. I am one of the volunteers here at Venture Church, and it is my great honor and privilege to be able to bring you the word from God today. And I got to tell you, I'm excited because it is finally here. It is finally here. The, the sermon series that we do every year that is probably one of my favorite sermon series of any church I've ever seen do anywhere at the movies. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's exciting to me because I love movies. I watch movies all the time. I get really into movies. And uh, if you're uninitiated in what this At The Movies series is all about, it's when we take movies that are popular in the world and we watch them and we enjoy them and then we bring them back here and we say, you know what? Here are some good things that we can learn about God and about being a follower of Christ through this movie. We use it as a springboard to dive into the Bible. And this year we've got an epic theme. Our theme is fight. Last week, Chris started the series off and he talked about a perennial favorite, Rocky. Chris explains that as followers of Christ, we need to be training like Rocky trained, but we need to do it wearing the full armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. It was a fictional story about a fictional boxer, but it had some great historical context. Today, we're going on a different direction. We're going to talk about a movie that is based on actual fact, a movie that has some real historical context, a movie that, well, apparently got just about everything historically inaccurate as they made this movie. Uh, if you watch, an inter- there's an interview with the writer that says, uh, yeah, I was just trying to get the feel of it. I, I, I don't know. It, it's okay, but whether it's a true story or not, we can still get biblical truth from it. Today, we are talking about a movie that was based on a poem called The Wallace that was written in about four, 1470 AD, 165 years after William Wallace was executed by, of all people, a guy named Blind Harry, which I thought was worth noting because that's pretty cool. But we're talking about Braveheart. Braveheart, that great Mel Gibson classic, look at that. You you just hear it right now, can't you? You just wanna scream it, don't you? Everybody, let's do it. Freedom! Yeah! Braveheart, did you know that came out in 1995? That's 24 years ago that Braveheart came out. That's crazy to me. 24 years ago. Here's some cool facts about Braveheart. When Braveheart went to pitch this movie to Paramount Pictures, he wanted to direct it. He said, I've got a movie that I found the screenwriter wrote, and I want to direct this movie. And Paramount Pictures said, we'll let you direct it, but only if you star in it. I'm like, that's pretty cool. I wish I was that awesome that I could be like, hey, I want to make this movie. And they're like, cool, but only if you're in it and pay yourself a bunch of money also. It's like, all right, cool, I got this, I got this. Uh, the story, as the story goes, uh, what's his name? It's not William Wallace. Uh, Randall Wallace uh, first had the idea to write the movie Braveheart when he went to visit Scotland on a family vacation. And at Edinburgh Castle, there are a statue of Robert the Bruce and a statue of William Wallace. And he asked the tour guide, he said, what's up with these statues? And the tour guide explained it and He said, man, that would make a great movie. And so he sat down and wrote the movie. Uh, He says it was the easiest movie he's ever written. Uh, I don't know what other movies he's written, but that's pretty cool to know that. But let's get into the actual movie. As the movie goes, 
William Wallace was a farmer. He was a peasant that lived in 13th century Scotland, and he wanted to live in peace with his family. But he couldn't do that. The English had come in and taken over Scotland, and the oppression was too much under the brutal King Edward the Longshanks. And so things had to be done differently. Things had to be, be changed and worn. And uh, he had to hide the fact that he got married because he didn't want the local lord to come and exercise prima nocta, which is not a good thing that really ever existed. But they put it in lots of movies. And you can look it up later. But it was bad. So they pretended like they didn't get married, and they did. And then later on, his wife gets taken advantage of by one of the English soldiers And in the process, she hits him in the head. And so they execute her for assaulting a soldier. And that's when everything changes for William Wallace. He realizes that living without freedom isn't really living at all. And so he, as this common farmhand, starts to lead a rebellion that gains enough momentum that it pulls in people from all across Scotland And they go against all odds. It's a really, really good movie. It's full of all kinds of things. There's betrayal, there's romance, there's courage, fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters. Wait, no, that's that's The Princess Bride. No, but it's still a really good movie. It's still a really good movie. Uh, And there's plenty of epic fight battles. And if you haven't seen it in the 24 years that it's been out, I don't mind spoiling it for you. In the end, William Wallace gets tortured and killed, executed in the public. But even then, he does it without begging for mercy. He does it without giving any quarter and screams out that famous last word, freedom. See, Braveheart's one of those movies that just kind of shakes you. You know, you watch it and you feel it in the core of who you are. It's watching a guy who is so convicted about what is right and so convicted about what should be happening that he does everything. He gives up everything. He goes and lives as though his life is meaningless unless he can accomplish this goal. And it just shakes you to watch that kind of conviction and that kind of passion and that kind of courage and strength. And I don't know about you, but when I watch Braveheart, I get inspired to do something more. I get inspired to be bigger and braver and badder than I actually am. You know, you watch Braveheart and then you walk outside, you're like, all right, somebody come, somebody come try and rob me. Come on, walk like this. Everybody's going, no, I'm big. No, that's what you do though. You get excited about it. You're like, man, this is gonna be great. Come fight me. I am ready to punch some dudes in the face. Maybe that's just me. If it is, I'm fine with that. But we get excited about these kind of movies that just fill us with inspiration. And you're ready to stand for something. And when I get in that kind of mode, uh, what I always end up thinking about are my little girls. I've got four kids and two of them are are beautiful little young ladies. Uh, There's Leia who is super sweet and kind and will smile at the drop of a hat and wants to be helpful and good. And I think about Leia and I think about my little Amelia who is just just 19 months old but already has as much of my heart as as any of the other four, uh, three do, however many there are. Uh, (laughs) 
once you're past two, it doesn't matter. Uh, you just say, come on, let's go. Um, but I think about little Amelia and how sweet and beautiful and perfect she is. And I think about the world that we live in. And I, I think about all the things that as young ladies they're going to have to face in this world. And, and I think about the fact that I know without any shadow of a doubt that one day, one day there's going to be a knock at my door. And I'm going to open it up. And on the other side, there's going to be a boy that has come to pick up my little girl to take her out on a date. Let me just tell you, I know how William Wallace feels, okay? I'm there. I get it. I, I, I know what it's like to be ready at a moment's notice to stand up between the world and my kids. To stand up and be ready to fight. And I know that you have something in your life that you feel that way about too, that you're passionate about because God has given us all the heart of a warrior in certain situations. And I want you to know this. I want you to know that God created you to be a warrior that wears the armor that that Chris talked about last week. That God created you to be a soldier, to be a fighter. God created you to stand up. And to hold your ground. But to be a true warrior, you got to have a reason to walk out on the battlefield. To be a true warrior, you have to have a cause worth fighting for. You see, there's, a, there's an amazing thing that happens in people's lives. And this is, this is Christians and non-Christians and people that completely don't believe in God at all. But when people in this world find a cause that is bigger than them, a cause that is, is stronger than they are, that is greater than who they are as a person, it changes who they are and it makes them able to do things that they never imagined. This is what happens when moms pick up cars off of their kids after an accident. This is what happened when ordinary men and women run into burning buildings to help strangers come out. This is what happens when people give of their resources and their money and their time to help people that are less fortunate than them, to help people that are in need, is because they have found a cause that is bigger than they are. They found a cause that is greater than them. But friends, sometimes we see that and we stay comfortable where we are. Like, yeah, there's stuff over there. There's people I could help. There's things over here that I could do and it would be awesome, but, but we need a nice swift kick in the pants to get us moving. We need a little bit of a push. We need someone else to show us what's staring us in the face as a cause that we need to be working on. Uh, in, in the movie, in Braveheart, there are a couple of Scottish nobles that get together to stand against the king. And they call together their armies and they call together their people and the armies get there and as the movie goes, the armies are standing there and everybody's standing in line like you do in the, those old wars. They're getting ready to fight. And then the English army starts coming over the hill. And in the movie, it takes about five minutes for all the English armies to get over there. And you see just a sea of people wearing armor and knights riding horses and all kinds of stuff. And the Scottish are getting there going, we just are wearing some skirts and stuff. I don't know how we're going to fight against this. And that's what they start thinking. And they start going, it's not worth it. I'm not going to fight. One guy says, I'm not going to fight for these guys to just have more land so that they can make me work that land. I'm, I'm going home. I'm gonna get out of here. And then we have that most epic part of the entire movie of Braveheart when William Wallace comes riding up on his horse. You know what? 
let's just watch it. Wallace. Gotta be no tall enough. The Almighty says this must be a fashionable fight. It's drawn the finest people. Where is thy salute? For presenting yourselves on this battlefield. I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. And if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Oh, the English are too many. I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. He kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight against that? No! We will run! And we will live. Aye. Fight and you may die. Run. And you'll live, at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take Oh, freedom! I don't know if you can 
can see it, but I literally have goosebumps watching that. Like that gets me pumped. That gets me excited. It makes me want to go out. Like I think if I was there, if I was there right then and I heard that speech and I heard him cheering, even though the words don't make a lot of sense, even though what he's saying is like, yeah, I'd rather go and live all my life. But he's saying it with such passion and with such fervor that I'd be like, yeah, I'm in. Let's go. I'm, let's go fight. Let's go do this, even though I don't know how to hold a sword properly. I can promise you that. And why is it? It's, it's that way because we have been given a warrior's heart. We have a desire in ourselves and in our lives to fight for something that is bigger than we are. In the Old Testament of the Bible, there is a story. There, there's a, a thing that happens where it's a man named Nehemiah. And uh, if you want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, you can do that in your Bibles now. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on this little shelf by the door. You can have one of those. Take it home. It's free to do, but it'll also be up on the screen here in just a minute. But in, in Nehemiah, what's going on is there is this Hebrew, this Israelite, that has been taken by the, the Persians when they came in and ransacked Israel. And he was taken, and he's now in the home of King Artaxerxes of Persia, and Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He's got this nice position, this cushy job, where he gets the best food, he gets to taste the best wine. And someone comes from Jerusalem and tells Nehemiah about the state of the city. Tells him that the walls have been torn down, that the gates have been burned, and that Jerusalem is at the mercy of the people surrounding it. And it breaks Nehemiah's heart. It breaks his heart so much that the next time he goes before the king, the king can see in Nehemiah's face that he is upset. Can see in his body language that he is distraught. And the king says, bud, what's going on? What's the matter? Why, why are you upset? And Nehemiah lays it all out. The home of my ancestors, the home of my family, the home of my fathers has been destroyed. And the king says, what can I do to help make it better for you? And Nehemiah says, let me go and let me rebuild the walls. And the king of Persia likes Nehemiah so much and is so moved by his passion about this wall that he says, not only will I give you permission to go, I will give you notes to all of the kings in between here and there that they will give you safe passage and I will give you some bill of sale to go and get all of the best materials out of my stores to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah goes, he gets a group together, they head to Jerusalem and he gets the people going and they start working. But when they do, all of the Amalekites and the Hittites and Jebusites and the other Hittites, all of those guys, come start making trouble because they don't want the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. They want Jerusalem to be broken and beaten and down. They want to be able to come in and ransack and raid whenever they want, and they tell them as much. And they say, if you start building these walls, every time we see somebody building, we're going to come and we're going to kill them. We're not going to let you build the walls of Jerusalem back. And so the people do like the Scottish in the movie and they start to say it's not worth it. They start to leave. They start to, to give up. And so in Nehemiah chapter four, verse 14, we see Nehemiah start to rally his people one more time. He gives them a speech like William Wallace. Verse 14, after looking things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, this is Nehemiah talking. He says, after I checked everything out, I looked at what they were saying, then I really laid into them. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, for your sons and your daughters. Fight for your wives and your homes. 
Nehemiah was Scottish, it's okay. But guess what happened? He gave them that passionate speech. He got out and he said to them, let's do this. Let's fight for this reason. Let's fight for this cause. Let's fight for these people that we love. And they did. They started building the wall in earnest. They got out there and half the men stood guard with sword and spear while the other half worked. And it got to the point that they wanted to get the wall completed so quickly that not only did they do that, but it says that they would work with a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other. I can see it now. Come on, let's let's go. Let's get this done. Let's get the wall built. And they built the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days because Nehemiah came in and gave them the push that they needed to understand that the cause was worth fighting for. When you fight for a cause outside of yourself, you fight harder. When you fight for a cause that is greater than you, you fight with more vigor and with more strength. I'll fight for my family. I'll fight for the broken. I'll fight for those that need God. I fight for his kingdom and his truth. And when you put those in your brains and in your heart, it's better. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, if a man hasn't discovered something that he's willing to die for, he isn't fit to live. If you don't have something in your life for which you are willing to lay it down, then are you truly living? Are you truly accomplishing anything? Friends, we have to find that cause, that divine cause that God is saying, this is your fight, this is your battle, this is where you need to be, and we need to live it out. Because if we don't, we're just gonna fill our lives with other things. We're gonna fill our lives with more Netflix and more movies and more going out to eat. We're gonna fill our lives with more traveling to exotic places and more video games and more hours at the job and more money and more success. And none of those are bad by themselves. But none of those are a cause worth dying for. I'm not going to die because Netflix raised the price of their their subscription again. I'm not going to die because another streaming service is getting ready to come out. I'm not going to die because I don't make it to the movie at the right time. It's not going to happen. Even if it gets spoiled for me, it's not going to kill me. And I'm not going to go and put my life on the line for that. But there are things in this world that I will die for. And there's things in this world that God wants me to be willing to lay my life down for. For him and for his truth and for his people. But we've got to find the right cause to fight for. Because when we fight for bad causes, when we fight for the causes that are wrong, bad things happen. Celebrities fight more and more and more to be famous. And too often we hear about them at the end of their life broken and miserable and alone because they fought for the wrong thing. There are men in this world that every day fight for that next raise and that next promotion to make themselves better and stronger at work while at home their kids are growing up without a dad because he's always focused outside. And time and time again in this world, people who are fighting for the causes of, of evil and for the causes that are wrong end up pulling guns on the innocent. In the New Testament and the Bible, which is in that last, last third, in the book of Acts, we meet a guy that is doing that. He's a guy fighting for the wrong cause. 
In, in Acts chapter seven, we see him show up and his name is Saul. And Saul shows up and holds the cloaks of the people that stoned Stephen, the very first person to die for his faith in Jesus that we know about in the Bible. And he stands there and he holds those and ate one it says, and, and he thought that it was good. And this is what it says in Acts chapter eight, verse two. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Saul was passionate. Saul was going and fighting for a cause that he thought was right, but it was the wrong cause. And not much later in Saul's life, he sees a light as he's walking on the road to Damascus, a light that knocks him to the ground and blinds him. And he comes out of that blindness being miraculously healed by God, knowing the right cause. And from there, he stands for the people of the church. He stands for the followers of Jesus. He even goes on to write about half of what we call the New Testament. And he gets started being called by a different name, by Paul. He changes what cause he's fighting for, and not only, no longer is he killing, but now he's bringing people to truth and to life. When we go looking for a cause to fight for, we need to look in the right place. We need to look into the Word of God, and we need to look into the life that He's pouring into us. Because we're going to fight the wrong battles. We're going to fight them over and over, and there's a chance that you look back in your life and you can see them. You can see them stacked up, all the wrong things that you fought for. Because maybe you've never sat down and you never thought, what is the cause that God has set for me? What is my divine cause? Because the truth is, if you will allow him to do it, God will use you. He will use you and your gifts and your talents and your experiences. God will use your passions and your knowledge and your personality to make changes in this world. Right now, take a second. Think about it. What is important enough to you that would be important to God that it can be your divine cause? What is it that God wants you to do? What is it that you feel exuberantly passionate about? And name it to yourself. Say, this is the cause I'm fighting for. And don't feel like once you've done that, that that's the cause you've got to fight for forever because it can change. Your, your cause can change over time. It can change uh, on a daily basis. You might wake up tomorrow and go, you know what? Today, the fight that I've got to fight is a different one than the fight that I was fighting yesterday. But what is your cause? For some of you, it's, it's your marriage. It's fighting to maintain that idea that what God has put together that no one should separate fighting to, to, to love and to cherish even in the hard times. For some of you, that fight is for your children or with your children sometimes because of the choices that they're making. But that's a cause. That's a fight. 
Maybe you're fighting against debt and you're fighting for financial freedom. Maybe you're fighting the fact that in your family, abuse and alcoholism and drugs and bad things have gone generation after generation after generation. It's time for someone to stand up and say, enough is enough and break the cycle. Maybe your fight is against your own personal demons, your own personal addictions, your own personal failures. Maybe your fight is for those who can't fight for themselves. I know for me, one of my greatest fights in this world is to fight to raise children that know, love, and follow Jesus. That is one of the greatest causes that God has ever put in my life, is to raise my kids so that they can have an impact in the gospel or for the gospel in the world. Every single night I pray with them before they go to bed that they will be able to make good choices and be their very best for God on the next day. That is my cause. And if you're here today in this building, you have the heart of a warrior. You have a heart that wants to fight for a cause. You have a heart that wants to go out. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that cause is backed up by the Holy Spirit, by the very power of the God who created the universe. He's on your side. William Wallace in the movie, when he is sentenced to death, to a public execution, there's a princess that he's talked to trying to get France to come and help in the war against England. And she's fallen deeply in love with him and she begs him to get on his knees and beg for mercy from the king. And William Wallace just looks at her and he says, every man dies, but not every man really lives. Are you really living your life right now? We all have the same physical destiny of death. We're all gonna die, but the time between right now and the time between when that happens, are you really going to live? In the book of John, there, the words of Jesus are recorded, and it says this. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus is talking about more than just having a full life here on earth. He's not talking about a, a two-car family with a white picket fence and two and a half children. He is talking about eternity in heaven with him. The language that Jesus is using is one that is beyond necessity. The life that Jesus deals with is a life that is beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. It is a life to the full. So I have to ask the question, are we living that life? Are we living the life that is abundant, the life that is full? Have we found a cause worth dying for? Have you stepped in with your warrior's heart to make an impact on this world in some way for Christ? Because we've seen it. We've seen the people that aren't living. We've seen the people that float through this world in a place that is not greater than themselves. They are purposeless, passionless, just getting by, collecting more and more things. Friends, they are not really living because the enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does it sometimes in very quiet ways. He comes in with a whisper and a knife in the dark. A little slip into sin over here. A little white lie over there. 
But sometimes he comes in, guns blazing, trying to tear down everything we know and everything we love. And when that time comes, we have to recognize that it's not just a time to stand firm, but it is a time to be willing to fight, not just to defend, but to attack. Now, I'll tell you something about myself. I am a very heavy sleeper. And there's a good reason for that is because for some reason in my brain, I don't think it's time to go to bed until I cannot physically keep my eyes open any longer. And so I will stay up into the wee hours of the night going, okay, okay, now it's time. And I'll walk the three feet from my bed or my chair to my bed. I will crash and I will be pretty much immediately asleep. And I'm that way until my alarm goes, well, until one of my five alarms goes off. Or Ashley wakes me up and says, are you supposed to go to work today? Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, we got it. We're going. But I have no doubt that if Ashley were to grab me in the night and say, Patrick, I heard a noise. There's somebody in our house. That I would be up and I would be on them faster than my body knew to wake up. Like, I have no doubt that that's happened. That I'm going to get up and I'm going to defend my family. Because when someone comes in and threatens the things that you love, when someone comes in and threatens the people that you care about, you wake up and you fight. You get up and you go. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He says, the thief comes in. When does the thief come? Thief comes at night. Thief comes when you're asleep. Thief comes when you're least expecting it to steal, kill, and destroy. And that thief is Satan. That thief is the great enemy. And I'm going to tell you that he is here in this world. He is here and he is wrecking shop every day. Because people are not standing up to fight. And the time has come for the people of God to wake up and to stand and to fight. It's time that we put on the armor of God and we stand up like the warriors that God has created us to be. Because there is an enemy out there. There is an enemy that hates our guts and wants to tear us down to his level. That wants to bring us into eternal damnation. Because he doesn't think anybody should have what is good and what is right. And we know this. So we have to stand up and fight. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to go out and ask everybody that we see, are you a believer in Jesus? And if they say no, we punch them in the throat. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I'm going to beg you, don't do that. The series is fight, but that's not the only way to fight. What I'm saying is, make the choice to shine light into dark places. Make the choice to follow God when it isn't popular. Make the choice to follow God when it isn't easy. Make the choice to be in a real, true relationship with your Lord and Savior. And do it on purpose. Look for the places where you need to act. Look for the places that are begging to be attacked and then move with love and kindness and peace and prayer. Because a warrior has to know when to attack. But a warrior also has to know when to hold. In Braveheart, there's a moment when, right after this, you saw him coming in with those bundles. Those were great big giant spears. One of the things that the movie actually got historically accurate, that William Wallace invented that move where they make that porcupine with the giant spears for the knights to run in on. And he keeps yelling at them, hold, hold, hold. And then finally pull up the spears. Maybe you're a little bit more modern. You hadn't seen that one, but you saw uh, Black Panther. Yvonne Bay, 
That's what they're saying. I looked it up this week. That means hold. They're yelling, hold. Nobody run yet. Nobody go. Everybody stop. Everybody hold. A warrior knows when to do that. On the night that Jesus was being betrayed by one of his closest friends, he's walking out of the garden after praying so hard that he's sweating blood. And the soldiers come up and Judas walks over and kisses Jesus on the cheek. And what does Peter do? Peter jumps out with his sword and he cuts a guy's ear off. Now, I don't think Peter was trying to cut the guy's ear off. I think Peter was trying to stop that guy from laying hands on Jesus. Peter was trying to stop that guy, to end him. And he was just so hot-headed and bad with the sword that he just cut his ear off. And Jesus says, stop, put your sword away. He picks up the ear and he, Jesus is it back on. I don't know, I was gonna say glued it back. I don't know, he just, Jesus is it. And he says, stop, hold. And then Jesus begins to fight one of the greatest, most intense battles that have ever been fought by standing and letting love pour out of him. As he is questioned in an illegal trial, he holds. As he is blindfolded and beaten, he holds as he is scourged and whipped and bloodied and torn up. He holds as the nails are driven into his arms and he is lifted into the air where he can't breathe. He holds until he finds enough breath to say, Father, forgive them. And he fights that battle against sin and against tyranny and against death with love and peace and forgiveness. He fights that battle because he knows that a warrior knows when to attack. And Jesus could have attacked. He could have called legion upon legion of angel to come and end that. But a warrior also knows that when a cause is worth dying for, that sometimes you just have to hold. You just have to stand firm. Do you have a cause in your life that is worth dying for? William Wallace found his passion in the word freedom and not living under the oppressive rule of another nation. And that passion gave him purpose And it inspired an entire nation of people to go and lay their lives on the line. And even at the very end, as he is being tortured, it's the only thing on his mind. And he screams out that word, freedom! Because that is what he laid down his life for. What are you willing to lay down your life for? For what are you willing to sacrifice? In what places are you going to give your time and your talents and your resources? Maybe you're here today and it's your very first time at Venture Church. Maybe it's your very first time in church at all and you're just trying to figure out if this whole Jesus thing is worth sacrificing anything for. 
if that's you today, then what I'm going to say is maybe that first sacrifice you need to make is just another hour of your time. Just come back one more week. See what God has in store for you and how he can use you. But if you're here today and you are already sold out for Jesus, then I want you to know that he has a special cause for you to fight for. He has a cause for you to die for, a cause for you to live for. Because Jesus calls us to die to ourselves every day and to live for his kingdom so that we can save as many people in this world as we can. Because the freedom that William Wallace was willing to lay down his life for is nothing compared to the freedom in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna tell you, the enemy is here. The battle is waging. He is in our schools. He is in our music. He is on our TVs. And it's time for the people of God to wake up to stand and to fight. Pray with me.